Well, turn to John 4. Let's make good use of our time today. Uh, John 4 is a story of Jesus. And um, Jesus is meeting this woman, the Samaritan woman, uh, the woman at the well. And um, there's a lot in this passage today. And I'm going to uh, kind of give you an overview. It's not going to be adequate. There's, there's a lot more here than what we can talk about. I have a picture on the screen that is probably a little bit romanticized. You know, everything looks so clean, but you see him talking to this woman. You see the disciples are going off into a town and they're going to come back. And there's, there's a lot happening here. This is a very full passage. In a moment, I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, I tell people who are preaching, like, shorten your sermon and read a lot of Scripture. All right, the Bible is the part that really counts. It's the only part of the sermon I'm really sure I'm getting right is when I'm reading the Bible. So we're going to read the whole story. Uh, but let me give you kind of a quick overview why I enjoy this story so much. Uh, John chapter 4 is telling us about this lady, and she's really one of the most pathetic characters in the Bible. This, this is a really needy lady. Um, you might think that you've known her. Some of you have heard this story ever since you were children. For some, it might be the first time you've heard it. Jesus is going to meet this lady, and she's an outcast. Uh, she has a checkered past. She's been married five times, and now she's divorced and shacked up with somebody else. Uh, so she's embarrassed and uh, has a lot of skeletons in her closet. But Jesus, Jesus loves her. And one reason I love this uh, passage so much is that it shows the mercy of Jesus, that Jesus isn't uh, just seeking out, you know, really respectable people or successful people. Um, he's seeking out the lowest, the neediest. So we see his mercy. And, and really in this passage, we're going to see a look, not just at what Jesus did in this chapter, but we're, we're kind of seeing an example of what God does all over the world every day. Uh, he's going to love her, and he's going to, to forgive her sins and change her life. But the story doesn't end there. He's going to use her to affect this entire community. And it's really a, an appropriate passage for you today as we think about, you know, God is working in your life, but he doesn't just want to work in you. He wants to work through you in the lives of other people so that they can come to know Jesus as Savior as well. And then uh, the last thing I would say is I just relate to this woman. Um, I read her story, and when I read it, I don't say like, oh, I think I'm a lot like Jesus. Actually, no, I'm, I'm not like Jesus. I'm more like the Samaritan woman. Uh, when I preached this years ago in Ohio, uh, first time I preached it, I said, I am a Samaritan woman. And um, you say that in 2023, it comes off a little different, all right? I don't self-identify as a Samaritan woman, but I'm saying... I relate to her confusion. I relate to her um, when Jesus is pursuing her. She's kind of dodging. You know, she tries to change the subject. I relate to her ignorance. I relate to her thirstiness. Uh, there was a time when, because we were meeting in a school, you know, if somebody left their Bible or purse or something, we had to get it out of there. It, it probably would disappear during the week. And um, somebody had left their purse. I was carrying it out to the church van and uh, one of the men in the church saw me. He says, Pastor, you're taking the Samaritan woman thing entirely too far. All right, well, I'm a Samaritan woman, and, and, and you're a Samaritan woman in the sense that, that you're very much like her. So I want you to read this with fresh eyes, see what God does in her life, but then see what God does through her and uh, changes her entire community. This is John chapter 4, right? This is the Word of God. This is what we came, 
came here for this morning. So Lord, teach us from the Bible. Help me to explain it and help people to listen and to understand and apply it. I pray that Christians will grow and be motivated to uh, serve you and, and to see their friends and coworkers uh, come to know Jesus. I pray that anyone here who doesn't yet know Jesus, today might be the day when, when you draw them to salvation as well. I thank you that Jesus is such a great Savior. So teach us about him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John 4, we're going to read 42 verses. It's a lot coming at you. So read along with me, please. John 4. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees, the religious hypocrites, they had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, that's John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He goes from southern Israel to northern Israel. Verse 4 says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Okay, the Samaritans are people that in their history, they had been conquered. They were Jewish people that had been conquered by Assyria 700 years before Jesus. And the Assyrian conquerors forced them to intermarry. Okay, so we live in a world of prejudice now. Like in our country, I, it, it's shocking to me how much uh, prejudice or you know, ethnic racial uh, division there is. That's not new. Okay, so the Jews were prejudiced against non-Jews. We call them Gentiles. But they were especially prejudiced against uh, the Samaritans because the Samaritans were kind of half Jew, half Gentile, and, and they were hated. Okay, so what we live with in the world is happening in Jesus' day, but Jesus is so different. So he had to go through Samaria, a town called, um, verse 5, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Old Testament history. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's a weird way of keeping time. It's about noon. It's hot, hot part of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for the uh, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's just prejudice. Uh, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, ask me, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, all right, kind of brings her back, focus. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, Jesus is using the water from the well as a symbol. So he moves from physical water to spiritual water. He says, I could, I could quench a deeper thirst, the, the thirst of your soul. She kind of gets it and she kind of doesn't. She says, whatever you're offering, I want it. And if I had it, I wouldn't have to come get water. All right, no, you're, you're kind of missing it. But close enough. All right, Jesus says, all right, let's, let's go ahead and deal with you. Let me quench your thirst. So verse 16. It seems like he changes the subject, but he doesn't. 
Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. All right, that's evasive. Jesus said to her, you are right, technically, in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, and now she tries to change the subject because it's awkward. So she says, our fathers, the Samaritans, worshiped on this mountain, but you, Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. That's a big statement. The hour has arrived when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ or the promised Messiah. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So she kind of shrugs like, well, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to tell what's true, what's not true. Uh, the Messiah will explain it. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It's one of the clearest uh, explanations or declarations of who Jesus is in all of the Bible. Jesus says to this woman, I'm the promised Savior. I'm the Messiah. Now, verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. Remember, they had been in town buying food. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Let me take one moment and congratulate Peter. On this one occasion, he didn't say something stupid. He just, you know, thought it and stayed quiet. But they're, they're wondering, why is Jesus talking to this lady? It, it, it looks bad. Uh, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ, the Savior? They went out to the town and uh, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Oh, no. Okay, they're doing the same thing she did. Remember how he used the water to, to describe a spiritual reality and she missed it? Now he's using food to describe a spiritual reality. They said, do you want lunch? He's like, no, no, no. I got, I got bigger hunger. I got bigger agenda items. And they say, did somebody bring him a sandwich? They missed it. All right, but he'll explain it further. So they said, did somebody bring him lunch? Um... Where was I? Let's see. Uh, verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food, my, my hunger is the idea. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I don't think he's looking at fields. I think he's using fields again as an analogy for a spiritual harvest for people. He says, hey, look, there's a bunch of people walking out of that town coming to meet us. We're about to have a spiritual harvest. There's going to be a bunch of people getting saved. So he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit to eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. 
I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. I think he's talking about the Samaritan woman. She kind of started the work of evangelizing, started telling people about Jesus. He says, now you get to enter into their labor. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and I love this summary in verse 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. There's a statement like that in 1 John chapter 4. The Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. What an awesome passage. There's so much happening here. And I can't begin to do it uh, justice. I'm going to put in a quick infomercial. Uh, We brought some books and uh, gospel meditations and things and uh, they might help you. One of them is a book on John 4. So what I'm going to tease a little bit today, you could get some more of that if you'd like. But let me at least whet your appetite, what's happening here. Um, five points a day, that sounds like a lot. We got, we got to hurry. Number one is this. Jesus seeks sinners. All right, that's simple enough. Jesus seeks sinners. Okay, what I mean by that is that in this passage, Jesus is in pursuit of this woman. Okay, she's not seeking him. She's actually trying to get away. But Jesus is after her. And again, she's she's one of the saddest characters in all of the Bible. All right, this is John 4. Does anybody know what happened before John 4? Anyone? Anyone? John 3 did. See, where are you going to get insights like that? John 3 was Nicodemus. Okay, Nicodemus was kind of the opposite end of humanity. You know, he's a man, she's a woman. Good, we're tracking, all right? He's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. He's respected as a teacher in Israel, and she is an outcast among the Samaritans. If you're an outcast among the Samaritans, that's about as bad as it can get. She's a social pariah. She has no friends. But but Jesus went to Nicodemus, and he said to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again, another one of those times. He uses an analogy. He uses birth as an analogy. He says, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, uh-huh. you know, can I go back into my mother's womb? No, no. Um, no. Nobody gets Jesus' brilliant analogies. He says, you've been born physically when you had a birthday, you know, however many years ago, but, but your soul is dead. Nicodemus, you might be religious and respected, but you're, you're lifeless. Um, religion doesn't save you. Religion doesn't make you right with God. So he says to this religious man, you need to be born again, not just physically, but spiritually. You need to believe in Jesus as Savior. And Nicodemus was born again. Then the very next passage, Jesus goes to the opposite side of the tracks, and he's going to meet the Samaritan woman, and he wants to save her as well. All right, the, the gospel is a dagger in the heart of racism. Nothing makes me angrier, nothing makes me angrier than racism, than prejudice, than pride, than hatred. The Jews and, 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 the, and the, the Samaritans and all these people were, were at odds with each other, kind of like we see in our country today and in our world today. Jesus had no time for any of that. 
He crossed so many boundaries to get to this lady. He, he crossed uh, a, a political boundary. He went into another nation, into Samaria. All right, so when we talk about missions, we're saying sometimes we don't just go to our people, we go to another people, we go to another place to give the gospel to them. Jesus did that here. He, he crossed a gender barrier, talking to a lady, even though ladies were really disrespected in that, in that society. Jesus said, no, not to me. She's important to me. He, he crossed religious barriers. She had a different religion. Jesus said, I don't care about that. Let me talk to you about your needs. Uh, Jesus even crossed kind of her reputational or her, her moral uh, reputation. He wasn't afraid to be with sinners. In fact, if you think Jesus is self-righteous like too many Christians, too many Christians are self-righteous, we congratulate ourselves, you know, kind of like that guy in Luke 18, Lord, I thank you that I'm not sinful like all these other people. All right, Jesus despises that. Jesus talked to Nicodemus, but most of his time, he's talking to somebody that had leprosy, somebody who's blind, a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, somebody that was, uh, was demon-possessed. He, he constantly is ministering to the lowly, to the outcast, and he's bringing them mercy. He has mercy on this lady. He seeks her out. Just know this from the Bible. If you're going to have a relationship with God, eventually you're going to understand that he was the one in pursuit of you. The Bible says we don't seek after God. We're all sinners and there's none righteous. There's no, nobody holy. There's nobody good. There's not even anybody who is seeking after God on their own. We seek God like a criminal seeks a police officer. We're running the other way. It happened way back in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve sinned. And when they heard God coming, what'd they do? Yeah, they didn't come and say, help us. They said like, oh, we got to get out of here. We got to cover ourselves up. We're, you know, we'll, we'll fix our own problems. They ran from him and he pursued them. Jesus is the one in pursuit. Jesus seeks sinners. I'm so glad he did. Because if Jesus didn't seek sinners, I'd, I'd be toast. I'd be lost. I'd be hopeless. I would be damned. You say, man, he just cussed. No, I mean, literally, I would be facing damnation. Jesus is so merciful. Jesus seeks sinners. He doesn't just seek sinners. Jesus saves sinners. Uh, that's a quotation actually from Luke 19.10. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. There, there were people that were shocked that Jesus is eating with all of these sinners. You know, they actually criticized him. All these, all these religious hypocrites, they criticized him. They said, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that was their accusation. To us, that's like the best news ever. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Hallelujah. Sinners like us, right? I mean, you understand this. You, one hope you're, you're, what, three years old? The culture of your church has to be, we are not the good people. We're not gathering on Sunday morning because we're so noble, so wise, so holy. We're just sinners, just like everybody else. Bunch of Samaritan women. Jesus seeks sinners and he saves sinners. What we mean by that is he, he washes away sin. He forgives us. You can't be right with God by trying to improve yourself. You know, it's like somebody saying, hey, my car's broken down. As soon as I fix it, I'll take it to the mechanic. No, stupid. You take it to the mechanic to get it fixed. I'm sorry I called you stupid. That was not kind. Um, silly. Dummy. All right. 
you go to the you, you go to the mechanic to get the repair. You don't fix yourself to get to God. That'll never happen. It's impossible. The Bible says you can't earn forgiveness. You can't earn salvation. It's a gift. You got nothing that God needs. But you come to him and you say, God, will you have mercy on me? Will you forgive me? And, and I'm dirty. I don't understand the whole Bible, but I understand this. I need a savior. You know, I'm, I'm not good enough. And, and I'll figure out the rest of the Bible later, but I'm going to start with this. Jesus, I'm a sinner. My conscience tells me so. The Bible tells me so. You know, maybe you've not committed murder, but you've been dishonest. You've been proud. You've, you've been critical. You've been angry. You've sinned. All of us have. Jesus specializes in that. He came to seek and to save the lost. He'll forgive your sins. He'll change your life. It's all a gift. You can't earn it. You just receive it. This woman got saved. I'm not sure exactly where it happened. But when Jesus said, I, I think when he says the word, two things. He says, if you knew, which is an amazing statement. All right, all the people around you that are so hopeless, if they knew what Jesus could do, their lives would be changed. And our job is to help them know, if they knew. And then, then he says to her, she says, you know, well, I don't know, all this religious debate, and, and she's talking about all these controversies, and she says, I, I guess eventually the, the promised Messiah, the one who the whole Old Testament promised, when he arrives, he'll, he'll set us straight. And Jesus said, that's happened. I'm here. The Savior has come. And I think that was the moment when her eyes were open and she trusted Jesus. And we're going to see how her life has changed. Okay, I invite you. Uh, some of you, you might, you might only be here to support a friend today. You know, you're going to see a friend get baptized and you're here kind of to watch, be moral support. You know, this, this is good for you. I'll support you. No, but, but maybe, maybe God has you here for a bigger reason. Maybe this is a divine appointment where you're actually hearing the truth from the Bible, not my opinion, not David's opinion, not the church's opinion. This is, this is God's word. And God says, you're more sinful than you think, but you're more loved than you would, you would ever dare to imagine. Jesus is interested in you. He's seeking you today. And if you'll call out to him and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I have no hope. Forgive me, save me. Jesus will save you. That's what he does. He came to save sinners. John 3.17. We all know John 3.16. You know, behind the goalpost, they have the sign John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish. That's damnation, hell, but would have eternal life. That's forgiveness. That's heaven. And then it says in verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. He wants to be your savior. You need to believe in him today. What, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You know, sometimes people argue. They're like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a critical thinker. You know, I'm, an, I'm analytical. I'm, I'm really smart. I'm, yeah, listen, dude, your soul is in danger of perishing forever. You know, imagine your heart stops. You know, you're bleeding out. You're dying some way. And somebody comes to save you and you say, well, you know, I have questions, you know. Um, you know, where'd you go to med school? Um, you know, show me your credentials. Uh, I want to check your, your approval rating on doctors.com. You're dying. Stop being so proud and just say, Jesus, I got, no, I got nothing else. Save me. He'll save you. 
He seeks and saves sinners. But in this passage, we learn something else, that Jesus satisfies sinners. That's, that's kind of the point of this whole passage. Jesus satisfies sinners. What do I mean by that? He comes to this woman, and he uses water as an example, right? He says, if you knew who I am, you would ask me, and instead of drinking this normal water that you know, you'll thirst again and again and again, I have water that you'll never be thirsty again. He's not talking about her body. He's talking about her soul. He saw this woman as thirsty. It's very interesting. Now, if I had been Jesus, which is a terrible way to start any sentence ever, but if I had been Jesus and I was going to use water as an illustration of salvation, I would have said, if you knew who I am, you would ask me, and I would use living water to cleanse your filthy sin because you are a dirty woman. He could have used water as a picture of cleansing. That would be normal. That's a, that's a normal way to describe forgiveness. That's not what he did. He didn't offer to cleanse her filth. He offered to quench her thirst. He's talking to this shameful woman. Why is she by herself at the well in the hardest, hottest part of the day? Well, she's avoiding people. You know, I'm, I'm doing the math here. If you've had five ex-husbands, do you know what else you have? Five ex-mothers-in-law. A whole bunch of ex-sisters-in-law. You know, usually women would meet at the well early in the morning, before the heat of the day, maybe late in the day, but not, at, not when the sun is high noon. But she's by herself, probably avoiding people. She's ashamed. You know, I, I mean, you, you see somebody that has been divorced and, and remarried and divorced and remarried again and again and again. Sometimes people say like, man, this, this woman sounds like a hooker. She sounds like a prostitute. She sounds like she just, you know, oh, she's, you know, what is she, addicted to sex? And you're misunderstanding this woman. Jesus sees her and he doesn't, he's not disgusted by her background. He's, he's full of pity. He's full of compassion. The church could learn a lesson from that, right? We look at people whose lives are jacked up, and instead of being judgy, we should have compassion because our lives are, are jacked up. Jesus sees this woman, he says, I know you're so thirsty. Now, what was she after? Just think about it a second. What was she after? What, why did she keep going for all these men? What was she looking for? You know, it's easy to love. Happiness, meaning, fulfillment. She wants to have a family. You picture a Samaritan girl, and she grows up and she's like, you know what? Um, my life will start to make sense. It'll start to be meaningful. I'll, I won't have this empty, thirsty feeling inside me when I meet the right guy. You know, I mean, Mr. Right. He'll, he'll meet all of my needs. She grows up and she gets married. All right? she, she's not a sex addict. She wants to be loved. She wants to have a family. She gets married, so her dream comes true, but not really. She's still thirsty in her heart. And in that culture, a woman had almost no rights whatsoever. She didn't walk out on her husband. She, she was treated almost like property. It's terrible, but it's the way it was. And it's not the way of Jesus. Jesus treats her with dignity and respect. 
But in that society, your husband could just decide, hey, I don't want you anymore. And he kicks her to the curb and divorces her. So here you have this woman. Everything she thought she needed, she got. And then she's brokenhearted. What happened? How come my life is such a wreck? How come I'm still so thirsty? I need to try again. Maybe, maybe that was the wrong guy. Another guy comes and another guy offers to marry her and she thinks, this will bring my life meaning. And she marries him. And then for whatever reason, he kicks her to the curb. And she's thirsty. And she's humiliated. She's broken. And a guy says, I'll marry you. All right, I'll try. She marries again. And then she gets rejected again. And again. And again. Five times. You say, oh, this lady's, a, you know, she's, she's easy. She's loose. No, this, this woman's broken. Sad, pathetic. Jesus loves her. So, so now a guy comes to her, a sixth guy, and he says, listen, you, you are damaged goods. I am not marrying you. But you can move in with me. Share my house, share my bed. You can almost picture her like, God, I guess, I guess I'll try. She is so thirsty. Her heart is so thirsty. She feels so empty. And Jesus doesn't come condemning her. Jesus comes to her and he says, if you knew who I am, you would ask me and I would give you the, the, the very thing you've been searching for your whole life. You, did, you didn't even know you were searching, but, but the answer is me. It's not a man. It's not a family. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy. Amen. Now, there's nothing wrong with being married. Right? I'm, I'm grateful to God for my wife, Lori. She's a great wife, but she's a bad God. What I mean is, if I were expecting her to meet the deep longing and thirst of my soul... She, she can't do that. Only God could do that. Right? We, we might say there is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person. And you try to fill it with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, it, you're going to be dissatisfied. Why, why do you think so many people are walking around doing such crazy things? Because they're thirsty. Now, this woman wanted a family. That's not, that's not bad. But it wouldn't satisfy her soul. There's people, they say, well, you know, if I, if I got married, that will make my dreams come true. Eh. If your heart is discontent when you're single, it'll be discontent when you're married. And then you say, oh, you know what we need? We need kids. That'll fix everything. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I didn't, I don't mean to laugh. Kids are great, but they won't bring meaning to your life. They won't fix your marriage. They won't be ultimately satisfying. And then you'll be like, all right, I enjoy being a mom, but I'm still thirsty. And you say, well, I need a, a higher degree. You know, you, you could try all kinds of things. There's people that they try to satisfy their souls with education, with a better job. They need a raise. They need success. They need more money, a nicer house, a nicer car, a better vacation. 
And none of that stuff's terrible. But they're trying to satisfy a longing in their soul. And what they need is Jesus. And the longer they try to satisfy themselves with the wrong things, they're going to be thirsty and thirsty and thirstier yet. And then they start trying, oh, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, maybe it, and they're thirsty. Told you, I'm a Samaritan woman. We're just like her. Jesus seeks us. He wants to save us. In fact, he died on the cross so he could save us. Oh, but he wants to satisfy you. He actually wants you to be happy, but you're not going to be happy from your family, your career, or anything else. Your happiness is going to come from him. And once you enjoy him, you can love your family and your career and your vacations because now you're not treating them like gods that will satisfy you. You're treating them just like, you know, blessings, gifts, conveniences. Oh, but you need Jesus. You need Jesus. What a great Savior we have. You say, man, that's the end. I told you five points, that was only three. All right? Seems like this is a good time to roll the credits. You know, the woman is, is an outcast, embarrassed, thirsty. Jesus meets her, saves her, offers her to satisfy her soul. He changes her life. Roll the credits. No, 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 but, but he's doing more. Next point, and I'll deal with the sinners, into worshipers. We come to the middle of this passage like verses 21 through 24. And there's this discussion about worship. And we read, look at, look at what, it is. I think it's verse 23, John 4, 23. The hour is coming and is now here. And what Jesus means is, I'm here. So everything's changed. The promised Savior had come. The hour is coming is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Huh. Now, Remember I said, if I had been Jesus, right now, now I'm going to say, if I had been Jesus' editor, I would have said, listen, you're saving this woman, you're changing her life, why talk about worship? It, it seems like that's a random topic. No, it's not random. Not, nothing in the Bible is random. He says, God is seeking people to worship him. Now, God is looking for worshipers. So when we sing together, when you, when you pray, when you read the Bible, when, when you live for him, you're doing what you were made for, what you were saved for. God is seeking worshipers. Let me ask you a question. Where does God find worshipers? You know, does he look through the world and he's like, oh, most of these people are wrecked. Oh, that one's good. Oh, wow. Nice one over here. Not... No, remember, we're all sinners. Nobody's righteous. We're all a mess. God is seeking sinners but he doesn't find them. He makes them. And what does he make them out of? What does he make them out of? Yeah. Bunch of Samaritan women. He takes a sinner and says, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to satisfy you. And in fact, I'm going to change your life so much that your life is going to be part of worshiping me. So when he tells the disciples, hey, you know, I'm not hungry for food. You know, I don't want a ham sandwich, not ham because they were Jews, but you know. Um, I'm, I'm not hungry for that. I'm really hungry to do my father's work. And what is his father's work? Seeking and saving sinners, turning sinners into worshipers. You know, we're, we're supporting missionaries in the South Pacific. We prayed for them today. Why in the world would they leave their families and go to literally the opposite side of the planet and, and try to give the gospel to a bunch of people who are they're Hindus or Muslims or animists or atheists. Why would they do that? Because 
just like Jesus was seeking and saving the lost, we get to be part of that scavenger hunt. We get to help him in seeking and saving people and introducing them to Jesus. So instead of worshiping false gods, they will come to worship him. God is so great that we want more people to worship him. So we give the gospel out of mercy and compassion to sinners, but we also give it for the glory of God because don't you want more people in this room singing praises to Jesus in, in a week, a year, a month? Yeah, we want more people worshiping Jesus. God is turning sinners into worshipers. So in the middle of this passage, he's saving a woman, but he says a, a bigger purpose is that God desires and deserves to be worshiped. And, and he's doing that through the power of the gospel. He's turning sinners into worshipers. So God's agenda for your life isn't just to save you and take you to heaven. It's to save you and grow you and change you and then be honored through your life. God has big plans for you. That's the end, right? Not, not quite. One more. God, Jesus, turns sinners into witnesses. All right, we're, we're having a global outreach focus today. God didn't just save you so you can hunker down and kind of, you know, well, I guess I have it good now and, and, you know, the rest of the world can go to hell, but at least I know Jesus. No, no, Once you've known Jesus, it should be in your conscience. It should be a passion. You say, man, I, Jesus saved me and, and he can save my sister. He can save my roommate. He can save my neighbor, my coworker, the boss who is so irritating, certainly needs Jesus. And he wants to save other people as well. Watch out because the gospel is contagious. Jesus changes people's lives. And, and this woman, this, one reason this is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is, remember, this woman is an outcast. She's avoiding people. She knows like her religious ideas are all messed up. She knows next to nothing. And now God's going to use her to bring an entire village to faith in Jesus. You know, she never went to Bible college, seminary. She didn't take an evangelism class. You know, she, she didn't take 10 years of church teaching. She just, she knew nothing except, hey, Jesus, Jesus changed my life and he could change yours. That's all she knew. I'm, I'm just going to introduce you to Jesus. So here's this woman avoiding all these people. And then as soon as she is saved, she leaves her water jar and she goes into the town. You know, people always try to overthink things. They're like, uh, she left her water jar. That signifies leaving her whole life. No, it just, it's a water jar. She was in a hurry. She didn't want to have to carry it. She probably came back and got it later. But she's like, all right, you know what? My day just changed. My agenda just changed. My itinerary just changed. Forget the water. All those people she was avoiding, now she seeks them out. She says, hey, you know, mom number three, you know, sister-in-law number five, you got to meet this man. He told me everything I ever did. He, he knew all about my life without even having me tell him. Could this be the Savior? Could this be the Messiah? So she goes to this village and she starts telling people that they need to be saved. And they're going to come out and see Jesus because, you know, this, this outcast, this lowly, 
this lowly sinner is now saying that, that she's had some experience where her life has changed and there's a Savior. And, all right, let's, if nothing else, let's just go out out of curiosity. They're going to come and they're going to meet Jesus. And it's such a contrast. This is actually not the best look for the disciples. Do you remember the disciples had just been in that town? Who did they tell about Jesus? Nobody. I mean, you know, they're, they're among people that they're, they're not comfortable with. They're kind of prejudiced about, you know, maybe sometimes you're, you're in a place and you're like, all right, I'm in a weird part of town. Don't look anybody in the eye. Just get gas and move on. And they just went about, they're, they're so obsessed about, about their lunch that they didn't care at all for all the lost people that they were meeting. They, they witnessed to nobody. And then comes this woman. She knows nothing except that Jesus is awesome. And she goes into that same town and she tells everybody, hey, go out to the well. You need to meet Jesus. They go out. And remember at the end of the story, we don't only believe because of what the woman said, but oh, now we met Jesus ourselves. And we believe, we are convinced that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Do you remember the chapter started with Jesus having uh, controversy with the Pharisees, these religious hypocrites, the Jews. They thought they were so much better than everybody. Now, Jesus isn't just the Savior of the Jews. He's not just the Savior of Americans, middle, upper class, you know, relatively successful. He's not just the Savior of, of white people or black people. He's, he's the Savior of the world. Everybody needs Jesus. We're all exactly the same. We need Jesus. And he saves people like us. He uses this woman and this whole harvest comes in and he uses the language, you know, you, you talk about a, a need for a harvest. Imagine fields that are ready for harvest and we just need more workers. Okay, Jesus actually wants to use you as one of those workers. That might not mean that you go to another country. You might. You know, we're sending somebody back to Japan. Awesome. You know, and, and the footprint you have here because of your connection with Kennesaw State, like you could influence the world just through students you're reaching and teaching. But he also wants to just use you in your neighborhood, your workplace, your family. He, he wants you to tell others about Jesus. So, so Jesus seeks and saves us and then he kind of deputizes us and we get to now become part of that work of seeking and saving as well. We, we don't save people, but we introduce them to Jesus. If you get people to Jesus, he'll take care of the rest. What a savior we have. All right, so this is just one story, but it's kind of a microcosm. All right, it, it's kind of a, in a nutshell, this is what God is doing in the world. Okay, so 2,000 years later, this is what God is doing. What we read about in the book of Acts, he's saving people. And as he saves people, he's, he's establishing churches like this one. And then our desire is not just that more Christians come, which is helpful, but we want non-Christians to come to know Jesus. And it's not the pastor's job. Get that out of your head. It's not the pastor's job to reach people. It's Christian's job to reach people. You know, the outreach ministry of this church is you. And you can have special days where you give out water and give out literature and invite people to church, but you're the outreach ministry of the church, all of you, all y'all. All right, I'm, I'm not from the South, but I'm learning. 
All y'all. Just take the gospel of lost people and, and, and watch what he does. All right? It, there's a power in a changed life. You say, oh, I don't know. I'm just not very comfortable talking about this stuff. You know way more than the lady did. God used her, and he wants to use you. So many applications today. If you don't yet know Jesus, what are you waiting for? Don't be stubborn. Don't be stupid. There's no other way. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to God except through Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I'm a mess, sinful, confused. Save me. Forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Save me. And he'll do it. And oh, he will meet the deepest needs of your heart that nobody even knows about. He knows you. He loves you anyway. He'll change your life. And then he'll use you to bring glory to God and worship. And he'll use you to expand the reach of the gospel through your witness. He uses normal people like us, a bunch of Samaritan women. What a Savior, right? Let's pray together.